Good morning. Greetings to all of you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm glad to see you here today. And uh, I think most of us are probably kind of glad that this message is coming after the refreshment time. So that there's no guilt involved. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin our reading for today. For those who maybe had missed the announcements, uh, we're, we're taking a, a slight detour away from our uh, uh, historical tour through the Old Testament. We've been looking at some of the writings of Solomon as we've discovered God gave him at the beginning of his ministry great wisdom. And because his request to have wisdom to honor God and to rule his people well for the Lord's sake pleased God, he gave him all the other things that he could have asked for but didn't. Wealth and fame and peace and all kinds, kinds of things. Uh, but along the way, this question has come up amongst us and we felt we ought to address it since it, it's not something we talk about very often. In fact, uh, uh, it's not something we tend to practice very often. So uh, I must confess to you today that I'm not chosen to be the one to speak to you because I'm the expert. Uh, I am a fellow learner. I feel like I'm just a, a, a toddler in this whole arena of fasting and prayer. So um, I want to just say that at the outset so no one has this strange idea that I've got this thing all down and I'm practicing this as a regular uh, 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 major part of my life and I'm telling you that you ought to be doing the same. No. Uh, as you probably will observe, if you haven't already, as I've read others who've written on the subject, it's hard to find a lot of material on it even because it's not practiced by many. And uh, if they do, people tend to be private about it for obvious reasons. And uh, so we're going to be learning together, and I pray that God will guide us in this journey this morning. I'd like to read for you uh, Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to extend the context beyond just the section on fasting. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of the chapter as we begin this morning. This is Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things that you need, that you have need of before you ask him. And now I'm going to move down to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, 
for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who see, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Father, as we have begun to look into your word today, we find this introduction into this topic that seems very important to you. But I can say for myself, it has not been as important as it should be to me and to many of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. And so as we have read his words today, Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to understand, that you would open our minds to comprehend your teaching regarding this great subject, and that you would show us how to apply it in our daily lives. Father, we want to thank you for our Savior, who was an example to us in so many things, and this one as well. And so we give you thanks more than just being an example for us, that as we have considered already earlier this morning, the one who came not to show us the way, but he took our place by, t- by going to the cross of Calvary and paying the full penalty of our sin, that we might be forgiven, that we might have an open and peaceful and harmonious relationship with you that was not possible any other way. And so, Father, insofar as this topic of fasting ties into that, that we might know you better, that we might draw closer to you and, and, and have your mind more impressed upon us, your view of our lives come into clarity, that you might lead us, guide us, sustain us, whatever it might be for your honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wanted to read all of those verses I read to you this morning because for context's sake, I think it, it, it helps to stress the importance of this, right? Nowhere in the New Testament will you find us commanded to fast. You won't see it. But when you read the words of the Lord Jesus here, you look at verse 16, he says, moreover, when you fast, not if, but when there's an expectation there that we will be doing this. As followers of Christ, much like we see at the beginning of this chapter, when he says, verse two, therefore, when you do a charitable deed or verse seven or verse five, and when you pray, are we commanded to do charitable deeds, good deeds as believers? We are. We're commanded very clearly to uh, uh, to do good to one another. To do good to others, especially the believers. We're supposed to be paying attention to the poor and sharing financially with those around us who have need. We look at the example of those in the Bible. But yet he says, listen, when you do those things, there's a way to do it. Not like the hypocrites who go draw attention to themselves so that other people can see it and and think well of them. They have their reward. Same thing with prayer, right? We. We know we need to pray. We see the example in the Bible. We're taught in other places about different parts of prayer. And and Jesus himself in this passage said to them, to the disciples who asked him several times, well, teach us to pray. And so he gave us this pattern for prayer. And so he expects us to pray. When you pray, don't draw attention to yourself. Just go into your father who will see you in secret and he'll, he'll hear you. He'll reward you in his way. And then we come to fasting. And somehow when we get to that part, we see if you fast, don't be a hypocrite. 
We don't seem to put the same importance on it. And maybe you do. And if so, I'm happy to know. I'm happy to hear that. Of course, you haven't told me and maybe you won't. But uh, uh, perhaps some of the dialogue that will come out of our discussion this morning will help us to share what we may have learned in our personal private lives, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to help encourage one another in practicing this spiritual discipline. Right. There are things that that we do as believers that are not just because we feel like it. Right. Should we do good to others because we feel like it today or should we do it because the Lord expects us to? Should we pray because I feel like it now or because I know my brothers and sisters in Christ? I know my unsaved family and friends need those prayers. The missionaries on the front lines need our prayer covered. Do we do it just because we feel like it? And maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe we haven't practiced the spiritual disciplines all over the place. And this is one of them. But this is meant to be one fasting. So what is it? Oh, before I do, I want to read one other passage before we totally get into that. If you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. You are invited to come to one of our four home studies tonight where we will continue our discussion on this and hopefully provide more practical application and sharing amongst ourselves as to lessons that we can have learned or observe from the Word of God. But, okay, people were asking, because normally when we have our home meetings, we bring refreshments for afterwards, right? And people were wondering, well, are we supposed to bring refreshments, or is this uh, kind of counterproductive? And uh, I want to say, bring the refreshments. Bring the refreshments. It's going to be fine. All right? And this verse in 1 Timothy 4 will help us to understand that. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Now, the spirit expressly says, verse one, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Latter day in the latter times. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What are these demons trying to teach and deceive? Verse two, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Did you catch that? There are deceiving spirits and teachings from demons in our day that are trying to get us wrapped up. In lies rather than the truth of God. One of those is that people are being commanded not to marry. Paul says, listen, I'm not married. And I wish that everyone had the same exercise of heart so they would be completely free to serve God and not be concerned about anything else. You can sleep in a sleeping bag on the street if you want to. No one's going to be concerned. But if you've got a family, your, your, your loyalties are going to have to be divided. You want to serve God, but you have a family to take care of, and there's a tension sometimes on how to do that. But that's okay. That's God's will for most of us. But there are some people, the Lord said in Genesis, uh, uh, Matthew 19, if they can accept this, accept it. Be single for God, for life, for His honor and glory. Not everyone can accept that. Not everyone is made to be able to accept that. 
And when people start forbidding others to do it, it can cause great trouble in those personal lives because they fall into sin and the consequences of those with whom they fall into sin in this area because they're trying to live a life God didn't mean for them to live. They, they were forbidden by others to marry. But then he goes on to say, to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In fact, for the Jewish people who had a very strict code of what they could eat and could not eat, you remember in the book of Acts when Peter was sitting there and this vision of a sheet came down full of unclean animals according to the Jewish food laws and God said, take and eat. And he said, I can't do that. No, Lord. Contradiction of terms. But three times the Lord had to tell him, listen, what I've considered clean, don't you call unclean. And he was trying to teach him a greater lesson that had anything to do with food. It was about the Gentiles that he considered not fit to be part of the kingdom of God. But he had to change his mindset. But God declared all foods to be clean. However, there are times where we would choose not to partake of food. Not because someone else is compelling us. Not because we're feeling guilty but because we believe God wants us to enter into a fast. And that's honoring to the Lord. It's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6 when he said, when you fast, remember these things. And so when you go to the Bible study tonight, we don't want you to feel guilty about partaking of refreshments. We don't want you to feel guilty for coming here to do that. This is something that's going to be between you and the Lord. And that's what the Lord said here. You live your life in such a way that they won't even know you're fasting. But between you and God, you've got something very deep and personal going on. So that's where we want to start, is to say, first of all, we're not trying to compel anyone to do something that God's not leading you to do. But there is teaching on it in the Bible, and we want to discover what it has to say. And so, first question is, what in the world is fasting? What does the Bible mean? You know, we hear about it all over the place. As a matter of fact, just last week, I think it was, I saw in the news, it's the latest fad for dieting. Fasting as a way to lose weight. They said, you can eat whatever you want and lose weight. You better believe people tune back in, right? Well, here's how they did it. On Monday, eat whatever you want. Tuesday, 500 calories. That's it. Wednesday, eat what you want. Thursday, 500 calories. What's that? Way on Friday? Eat whatever you want. Every other day, they said, eat what you want. The cake? Eat it. But you're, you're fasting tomorrow. And uh, they say people are losing weight. Their cholesterol's dropping, whatever the news said. I don't remember at all. But it was striking. Here we're talking about fasting. And, and people are, 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 it's the talk of the town. It's spreading. People do it for all kinds of reasons. And we'll get to those in a minute. But what is it? The Old Testament word for fasting is a word, I think it's called sum, but it means to cover up your mouth. Can't eat if your mouth is covered, right? You can't put food in your mouth if it's covered. So the idea was you stop eating. And the New Testament word actually means that. It's a compound word meaning not to eat. So when the Bible says something about fasting, that's what it's saying. You're abstaining from food. It goes a little bit beyond that. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's the gist of what fasting is. The word is actually used in the Old Testament about 45 times. In the New Testament, about 30 times that I found. Of course, this morning I found 
another one. Somehow Psalm 69 wasn't in my list from my concordance. I don't know how I missed it, but I thought, got to add another one. So we got one more from the Old Testament. That's 46. But uh, that's basically what it means to, to abstain from eating. Should we fast? We already looked at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, the, Bi- the Bible obviously speaks of it like almost 90, 100 times. But uh, we're not commanded to do it. You know, the Bible speaks of all kinds of things that they did in the Bible. They'd made animal sacrifices and um, there was tithing and circumcision. And just because they did it in one place doesn't mean they were supposed to do it in the other. In one time period, are we still supposed to be bringing animal sacrifices? We need to look at the whole entire teaching. Um, But people ask that question. Is it really meant for today? And I think as we've already seen, our Savior said it should be. Now, I've already thought about the question that might be in your mind, but that was before Jesus died and before the birth of the church. So what do you say to that, Dave? Well, I would say if we take a look at the disciples, we see in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas in chapter 13, along with the other leaders of their church, they were fasting and praying and worshiping the Lord when the Lord told them to send out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. In chapter 14, verse 23 of Acts, it says that as they were traveling Paul and Barnabas from place to place before they came home at the end of this particular journey, they prayed and fasted before appointing elders in those local churches that they had planted before they appointed them and left town. So was it part of Paul's practice? Yes. Second Corinthians chapter six and second Corinthians chapter 11, both places Paul gives his testimony. He mentions with fastings often it was a regular part of his life and he was certainly in the church age and wrote half the New Testament to teach the church the revelations God had given him. And yet we don't see him commanding us, right? That's, that's worth noting, but it was definitely practiced by the apostles in their day. And Jesus talked about it with an assumptive voice, not if, but when you do. Now, who else in the Bible fasted? Amazing the list. Going back as far as Job. Interesting passage. Well, I'm going to come back to Job read his passage if if I can leave myself the time to do that when we get to uh, the specifics of why people were fasting. But it's a a great uh, four verses or so there in Job 23, 8 through 12, where Job fasted. Moses fasted. Three times it reads that Moses fasted day and night for 40 days and 40 nights, not only without food, but without water. Now, let me just say this. You cannot physically live for 40 days and 40 nights without water. But Moses did. That tells me that God entered into the physical makeup of this man and overrode physics and biology to sustain him through that fast. Nobody, 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 no matter where you read is going to is going to uh, uh, exhort you to fast from food and water for 40 days and 40 nights unless they're trying to kill you. Um. Moses did that for uh, uh, 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus did. Elijah did. Samuel called for a fast. David fasted when Saul died. Daniel fasted numerous times, twice recorded very specifically in his book. Nehemiah fasted when he heard news of what was going on in Jerusalem. Ezra fasted before traveling on a trip. Jehoshaphat called for a national fast when he was being attacked by foreign enemies. Anna in the New Testament was there in the temple when Jesus was brought 
It says that she actually served God by fastings and prayers night and day. That was her ministry, was fasting and praying before the Lord. Cornelius was seeking God when Peter was sent to go visit him. Paul and Barnabas, we've already mentioned. It's all over the Bible, both Old and New Testament people who fasted. And what we learn when we look at these examples gives us some of the teaching that we're not finding when we look for specific teaching in the New Testament. Because it seems to me that they so much assumed that, listen, you already know how to do this. It's a part of everyday life for you. We don't, I mean, I mean, when we tell people to go eat lunch, we don't always sit down and say, now listen, when you sit there, remember to take the fork and put it in your left hand and the knife in your right hand. Remember you saw back and forth on the, on the meat and so then you stick it in your mouth. We don't do that because we just assume talking to our fellow friends and adults that they've already learned those things, right? And I think that that's probably what's going on here is that Everybody fasted in those days. They knew what it was about. In fact, on the Day of Atonement, specifically when they were told to afflict their souls, all the writing that I can see, although it doesn't use the word fast, that's what they're saying. Sometimes on the feast days where they were said it was a Sabbath and they were to do no customary work, on the Day of Atonement, it says don't do any work at all. And then eventually there were four different feasts where they had fasts scheduled and the whole nation, they took a break and didn't eat. So it was so much a part of everyday life that they must have figured, you learn that at home, we're not going to go over that in our meetings or in the letters. You already know that. But looking at what they did in the Old Testament is very instructive. And what we find is that there's two different kinds of fasts. In general, we'll say there were corporate fasts and individual fasts. And this is very interesting, too. One of the questions that may have preempted our dealing with this subject was because there was a church that called for all of the people, a part of that local body of believers to fast for a particular purpose. And, you know, never heard of that before. So the question started coming up. Well, is that something we should do? Should they be doing that? Or how do we respond to that? What do I say when I hear of such a thing? And, and so the question started coming up. But yes, there were corporate fasts. That means the whole entire group was called upon to enter into a fast together. And some of the examples of that that we see in the Bible, um, some of them you can think of without even... I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Chronicles 20 while I explain this, right? A couple of things that you can probably uh, validate in your mind without even looking it up. In Jonah chapter 3, when he went to Nineveh, you remember what happened? The king heard the judgment from God that was coming upon his city, and he called out to everybody, and he said, nobody can eat or drink. He called on the whole entire city to fast, get sackcloth and ashes, and sit in mourning before God, calling out to him for mercy because his judgment is going to come upon us. And not only did he tell the people to do that, he said, don't even let your animals drink water. So that we can tell God how serious we are about wanting to see his mercy upon us for our sin. That was in Nineveh, and he wasn't even a follower of God, but came under great conviction. In Esther's day, when she was there in this capital and heard that Haman's edict had been written and announced that on this particular day, all the Jews were to be exterminated, she called upon all those she knew to fast for three days. And she said, all of my attendants here within the, the, the palace, we also will fast. And then she says, and then I'll go into the king. It wasn't allowed, wasn't legal. But if the king was moved to extend mercy, she would be excused for it. And she says, if I perish, I perish. But in the meantime, she asked everyone to call out to God to fast and to pray on her behalf. 
Here's an example. Here, I've asked you to turn to it, and I didn't turn to it. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Now, the, the king of Judah at this time was Jehoshaphat. And you see some of the things that he did, and you have to say sometimes, well, was he a good king or not? But uh, in chapter 19, although he had gone up and helped Ahab, who was absolutely despicable before God, when he came back, he was rebuked by the prophet for doing that. But then the prophet said this in 2 Chronicles 19.3, Nevertheless, good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land, that is the idols, and you have prepared your heart to seek God. There was something within him that he was active in doing to incline his heart towards God. Was he doing a perfect job of it? No. Do we? No. So that's an encouragement. But as it was, he went about and he continued to set the Levites and the priests in place where they should have been and appointed them to serve God. And suddenly in chapter 20, the Moabites, along with two other nations, were coming to attack Judah. And verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord and before the court. And he said, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Now, he begins this long prayer saying, God, we realize who you are. You are the God who's in heaven. You're the one who brought us into this land. You conquered all of our enemies and you brought us here. But now here are these ones coming to attack us. Verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And it was amazing. Here this man, the king, on behalf of his country, he called for everyone to stop life, to fast and pray before God. And he gathered them together and they came together and they prayed together and they called out to God, seeking the Lord for his help in this time of great need. And while they were there, he says, Lord, we don't even know what to do, but we're, our eyes are on you. What do you want us to do? And God answered. He sent a prophet to talk to him and he tells him, verse 15, listen to me, all of you, including you, the king. Don't be afraid. Or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Just position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. And verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And it says he worshipped the Lord. Verse 22 tells us that God told him, I'm going to set ambushes for them. You go, and while they were still on their way to go engage the enemy, the Lord caused a great confusion amongst those other three armies. They killed themselves. One army attacked the other and the other trying to attack them. And it was like a three-way uh, circus. Each one slaughtering one another. I don't know what they thought was the other one was going to do to them. But the Lord caused confusion. They self-destructed. And all the Israelites really did. They walked in and it took three days to gather the spoils of the army. It was more than they could even take home. But then it says they returned back to Jerusalem with joy. Verse 27. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So I see a couple things in this passage. Number one, there was a corporate fast that was called for. Now, again, I don't see here that he said anyone who doesn't come, you're in trouble. He called them to come and multitudes came. And what they did was they joined together in the fast 
calling out to God, seeking the Lord's face. And the Lord heard this corporate body calling out to him and he he met them in their time of need. There's other places in the New Testament where the same thing happens. Nehemiah. Well, that one wasn't a corporate fast, but Ezra's was. Ezra, uh, in chapter 8 of his book, got permission to lead the people back to the promised land to help rebuild the temple and to set up the, the priesthood as it should have been. And before he left, it says he stopped. They kind of went left out of town and then they stopped by the river and they called for a three-day fast seeking the Lord's protection as they crossed the desert and asking for his guidance that they would go the right way. And God honored them. It was a dangerous thing going across the desert with all those people. But the Lord heard their prayers and he answered. The Lord doesn't always answer the way we want. We see that in other places. Um, Which brings me to the second kind of fast, the individual fast. We talked about corporate where a whole group of people, whether it's uh, uh, called by the leader or whatever, but they've, they've come together to fast. And to pray before God. But there's many examples of individuals. Nehemiah was one. In chapter 1, the cupbearer was there. And someone came from Jerusalem and told him about how the walls were destroyed. The people were in a terrible state. And it says he mourned. And he wept. And he fasted. And he prayed for three months. At least three months. It was an ongoing rending of his heart. And he was bringing it before God. And fasting while he did And it says at the end of that three months, there was a particular day after he'd been praying that he went in before the king and the king looked at him and said, you okay? You kind of look sad today. Never seen that before. What's wrong? That was a dangerous thing to show yourself to be sad in front of the king, but somehow God not only revealed it to the king to notice, but he gave mercy to the heart of the king, which Nehemiah had prayed for. And he ended up sending Nehemiah back to lead his people to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. An individual fast, a personal exercise between him and God that no one else knew about as he prayed and brought this serious matter before the Lord. There's so many individual fasts mentioned in the Bible. We would expend all of our time trying to get through them all. But I'll just say this. Why do people fast? Well, before I get there, Sorry. One other thing I wanted to say. The word means to cover your mouth. It means to abstain from eating. But what does that look like? We've already mentioned that for Moses and for Jesus and for Elijah, there was 40 days and 40 nights with no food or no water. That's it. Those were miraculous. Don't try it. You won't be successful unless God does another miracle. But he hasn't promised us that he would do that. Um, That was a miraculous thing. But um, where was I? Oh, Sometimes you hear about people who go on these multi-week fasts and it sounds intimidating, but you know, there's so many different varieties of fasts mentioned in the Bible. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, when Saul died, David finds out about it somewhere during the day. It says simply that he called for a fast until the end of the day, until sundown. So it was just a partial day. I don't know how many meals that might have included, but he basically said, you know what? I just heard this very burdening news And for the rest of the day, I'm not eating. And there are some people who do that. The Bible says not to let everybody know. And maybe 
You don't want your family to know that you're fasting, but you have something on your heart that you want to enter into this for. You know, uh, there have been times where I actually, uh, I didn't want my family to know. So during lunch, I just would leave work and go by myself and nobody knew. But you can skip one meal, two meals, one day, three days, a week. All these are seen in the Bible. Besides just a 40-day thing, right? Not only that, but I'll, I'll, I'll show you something very interesting in Daniel chapter 10. The question often comes up, well, what about for medical reasons? It might be dangerous. And that's true, right? If you're diabetic, you can't just say, well, that's all right. I'm going to be spiritual. God will take care of it. Um maybe you have medications that you're supposed to be taking and to stop taking them and not to be eating with it can be dangerous to your health. But it's very interesting here in chapter in Daniel, again, an individual fast. I'll just show you the one before that chapter nine, verse three. He says, I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord, my God and made confession and said, so he was having these visions and he didn't understand them and he was he was concerned about what they said they were troubling to him and so he said i wanted to set my face to seek god about these issues and so i sought him with my prayers and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes so that's something where he stopped eating but notice chapter 10 this is later a couple years later chapter 10 verse 3 uh, verse 2 in those days i daniel was mourning three full weeks the message that had come to Daniel broke his heart and he was mourning for three weeks. And what did he do during those three weeks? Verse three, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. On this occasion, he says, I didn't stop eating altogether. I just ate no pleasant food. He said, no dessert for me for these three weeks. I'm not eating meat. I'm not going to drink wine. Just the basics, but he still ate, but not the pleasant food. And so I would encourage you with this. We're talking about fasting, and if I don't say it now, I'll forget to come back to it, right? But there may be something in your life. Maybe you can't stop eating food altogether, but you can turn off the TV, stop surfing the internet, you can stop doing your hobby. There are things that are important to us that we can lay aside to abstain from for the sake of the Lord. And just like Daniel, who honored God by this, uh, one of the writers called it a Daniel fast. It wasn't a total abstaining from food, but it was a restraining from some foods or some things. Right? It wasn't just food because he said, and I didn't anoint myself at all. It means I, I, I didn't put on all the perfumes and I didn't... I, I, he denied himself pleasures of life that would have normally been okay for the sake of drawing near and seeking God. And there are times where, we, where it's helpful to do that. Go on an electronics fast. Maybe you say, well, I can't do that at work. Well, okay. Use it at work, but on your free time, at home, just ideas. How can we practice this fasting concept according to the way the Bible teaches. That's something else that's a part of that. It doesn't have to just be food. Um, okay, so other reasons people fast. You know, we've already mentioned people do it for dieting reasons. 
There are people who um, sometimes find themselves uh, fighting sicknesses. And it's true that there are physical benefits to fasting. And there are health benefits to fasting. And I've heard people in my college days talking about them. And um, I didn't really engage them on the topic. Uh, But I remembered that as I was studying. And um, reasons people fast. Losing weight, cleansing the body. Talks about the toxins that are removed. The the, the boost of energy that comes after three days. uh, The clarity of mind where the, the extra cobwebs of the mind seem to be cleared away and they can think better. They have energy in spite of not having food. Some people even finding healing from diseases. I'm not telling you that God promises to do that, but he has done it. Um, and uh, there are reasons that people do that for the health benefits. There are reasons people fast for religious reasons. One of the Pharisees that Jesus pointed out in the Gospels was a man who was standing there in the temple boasting that he wasn't like this guy over here, this tax collector. And he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. I fast twice a week. And you know what the Lord said? That tax collector who was despised by so many, including that Pharisee, he in his heart called out to God and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God heard his prayer and he went away forgiven. The Pharisee, in all of his religious exterior actions went away in his sin. Did fasting help him at all spiritually? Not at all. It probably just hardened his own heart, making it harder as he thought that in his own self-righteousness he was going to make himself good enough for God. There are ritual reasons that people fast. Some people do it for spiritual reasons. I remember Jim Elliott disciplining his body. Paul talks about, I buffet my, I mean, buffet my body. Um, that's the way one of my friends used to quote it. I buffet my body to make it my slave. But no, we buffet our body to make it our slave that we might be better fit for serving the Lord. And that is some of the reasons people fast, to make themselves more spiritual fit for the Lord. What are some of the other reasons? Job 23. We all know Job's story, right? He was uh, suffering. He had lost his family, his wealth, his health. And then these comforting friends that came to uh, to try to comfort him made matters worse by accusing him of having disobeyed God somehow. And and it's his fault. And Job, in the midst of his explaining himself, said this in Job 23. He said, I look I look forward, but God's not there. I look backwards. I can't perceive him when he works on the left. I can't behold him on the right. He says everywhere I turn, I can't understand what's going on. But he says. Verse 11, my foot has held fast to his steps and I've kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips and I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In the midst of his sorrow and mourning and distress, he was saying, I want the word of God. I want to find him in the midst of all this tragedy in my life more than my necessary food. He denied himself the food so that he could seek the face of God in his mourning and to try to find understanding from God. We already mentioned Nehemiah chapter 1 where he heard about the destruction of his people and were mourning for that. I mentioned David at the death of Saul who fasted out of mourning. Secondly, there are those who are seeking the truth from God. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was a Gentile. 
He feared God, but he didn't know him personally. And so he was fasting and praying for a revelation from God. And because of his continued fasting and his sincerity of heart before the Lord, God sent the vision to Peter and said, you need to go down and talk to this man. And he brought the gospel to him. So Cornelius was seeking the truth from God in Acts chapter 10. And that caused him to fast. Next, we also have... um, People who served God and worshiped God through fasting. Acts chapter 13 is where we see that the elders of the assembly were worshiping and praying and fasting to God. And God gave them this new direction to send out Paul and Barnabas. But the point was they were worshiping God as a ministry to God through their fasting. And that's what Anna was doing in the temple. We already mentioned her in Luke chapter 2. Another reason people fast is because of repentance and conviction for sin. We see in Moses' case in Deuteronomy 8 through 10, that's where you'll find Moses re-summarizing the journey to the people of Israel. And he said, these three times that I fell on my face and prostrated before God, it was because of your sin. I came down off the mountain with the tablets. I saw how you disobeyed God and I threw those tablets down and I threw myself on my face before God. I wouldn't eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights because I feared the wrath of God. He said he was going to destroy you, but I prayed for you and he heard me. He was going to destroy Aaron, but I prayed for him also. And And he restored Aaron three times because of the the, the, the conviction of the anger and wrath of God. Moses fell on his face to pray and to seek the Lord in repentance. Joel chapter 2 is in another. You know, there's very few extended passages about fasting where you get instruction. Second Chronicles 20 about Jehoshaphat is one of the extended ones where you see an explanation of all the different things that he did when he fasted. The other one is in Joel chapter 2. See my friend Joel here today. <clears throat> Reminds me, I think we were doing a Bible quiz team for the youth group way back in the day, and you were studying Joel. So we're going to turn to it today. But in Joel chapter 2, the people had been. Okay, I need to concentrate on where I'm turning. The minor prophets got me going. Okay. Chapter 1, verse 14. He says, Consecrate a fast, call for one, call a sacred assembly a holy gathering of the people and gather the, all the elders, gather all the inhabitants of the land into the house of our Lord and cry out to the Lord. Verse 12 of chapter two. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. You know, sometimes I thought of this last night. I was trying to prepare for this very message and I didn't want to go say, well, <clears throat> I fasted for this message. And so I really try to guard myself not to try to be more spiritual than I am. Um, but I found a struggle that I felt was a spiritual struggle in my heart. And I just kept seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord. But this passage came to my attention again last night. He says, turn to me with all your heart. Now we think of repentance, someone coming back to the Lord, your heart's been somewhere else, but in this, in this area of fasting and trying to draw near to God, if I had to define it, not, besides just saying stop eating food, it's laying aside of the things of this world to be able to draw closer to God, to seek his face. And he says to turn to me with all your heart. And in that same sentence, he kind of gives some qualifiers to help define it. And he says with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. 
He says, rend your heart and not your garments. It was easy for them. They heard something terrible to tear their garments. But he says, rend your heart. Pour out your heart before God and return to the Lord for he is gracious. Call out to him. You go on in chapter two, there's more. But why do people call out to God? Conviction of sin, repenting, wanting to draw close to him. Maybe you're already close and you want to get closer. That's part of what is going on in men like Daniel's case. Next reason, uh, spiritual battle. Uh, Matthew 17, 21, Jesus said this. His disciples could not cast out a demon. He said, why couldn't we do it? And you did. You remember the words of Jesus, don't you? Because I've heard them. I could have told you Jesus said it. But it's never impressed upon me the extreme value of doing it to move me to do it more. It says, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. There was a spiritual struggle that praying wasn't enough. This kind, Jesus said, can only come out by prayer and fasting. And what struck me about that was Matthew chapter four, the Lord's own example. Can I just say this? Matthew chapter four, when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It immediately says the spirit of God led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he became hungry. I've often thought that the fasting was his reason for going out there. But it doesn't say that, right? He was sent out there to face the enemy. And while he was there facing the enemy, it seemed to, to be understood by the Lord Jesus, whether the, Lord, the Father revealed it to him and it just not told us, or whether it was instinctively, he just, he just understood. Listen, if, if this other demon couldn't come out except by prayer and fasting, and he, you're going toe-to-toe with Satan, time to fast. And for 40 days... Jesus was out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And how did he deal with it? We, we read about how he says, it is written, it is written, it is, it is written. And we, we tell each other, read the word of God, memorize the word of God, quote the word of God in time of temptation. But maybe sometimes we're not having the victory we need because we're not praying and fasting. It was important enough for Jesus to withhold food for 40 days. So much so that at the end of the fast, when he's super hungry, they tell me after three days, your, your, your appetite hunger subside. You're not really starvation hungry, but our stomachs, are, they know the pattern, right? Six o'clock, hey, send down the dinner. Um, but now at the end of this fast, he is truly hungry. And the tempter says, oh, so come on, you're the son of God. You can just turn those stones to bread. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, listen, it is written, Deuteronomy 8, 3. Maybe it's a little further down than three, but it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Seems to me that the heavenly father impressed upon Jesus. You're out here in warfare and you need to fast. And he was living by the word of God. And he says, although I feel the need for food, I'm not going to give into my bodily cravings because I'm being obedient to my heavenly father. That's why it's wrong to turn stones into bread, because I'm following my father's lead, not my stomach's lead, not your lead, Satan. Buffet my body, make it my slave, lest after I preach to others, I should be disqualified.
Jesus did it because of the spiritual battle to overcome temptation. 1 Corinthians 7 actually says, Husbands and wives, don't be depriving each other of marital intimacy. There are certain responsibilities to meet each other's needs in the marriage relationship that God defines for us in this very passage. But strangely enough, he says, there is, there is an acceptable occasion. Except by mutual agreement for the sake of praying and fasting, but only for a short while and then come together again so that the devil does not have an opportunity in your life. Again, that's not a food fasting. But it's definitely an abstaining from pleasures that are ordinarily just fine and permissible and good in God's eyes for the sake of drawing close to God. And then uh, we mentioned Ezra for protection and guidance. Here's an instance where God did not answer the prayers. Second Samuel chapter 12. You know the story where David and Bathsheba sinned and she was pregnant with a child and the child was born. And God said, you know, that child's not going to live. And David went and he fasted. And he secluded himself. He would not eat. They tried to get him to eat. And he said, I would not. And the strange thing was, when the child finally died, he got up and he ate. And everyone was confused. They said, David, okay, it doesn't make sense. The baby's alive, you're fasting. The baby dies and now you're eating? That's not an occasion to feast. But what he said is so insightful into the heart of David. He said, but listen, why... While the baby was alive, I had hope that God might hear my prayers and he would not take the child's life. But now that he's dead, I know that God's not going to answer my prayer. And so I have to let it go. Are we manipulating God, trying to twist his arm to do things for us when we fast? Some people would tell us we are. But what we see is the heart of people drawing close to the Lord. They have burdens and they're laying the burdens at the Lord's feet. And the Lord says, sometimes I hear that prayer. I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. Sometimes the Lord says, no. But the fasting is a part of our drawing close to the Lord in those times of great need in our lives. I know our time's gone. I was going to say coming to an end, but it's really gone. How can I encourage you in this whole topic? This is something between you and God. You're not going to win his favor by doing it. You're not going to suddenly get saved on your way to heaven by fasting. If you never fast as a Christian, you'll still go to heaven. But we may be depriving ourselves of greater intimacy with God, a relieving of our burdens, the guidance and direction he wants to give us, or the power to live victorious Christian lives. But if we do, let's remember, let's not judge one another. Let's not show it off like the hypocrites do. We'll have our reward. It won't do us any good. And let's not try to force others onto our own convictions because now we'll be deceiving people down the wrong path like the doctrine of demons wants us to do. And let's draw near to God. I read James chapter 4 in a new way after doing this study. And I'll close with this. He says, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You think James had in mind 
fasting. I've never put it in that chapter. But now, it seems to me to be the case. He was saying, humble yourself before God. Pour out your heart before him. Empty it out. Let him cleanse away. And this is what everyone says when you do a biblical fast and you spend that time that you would have spent eating, seeking the face of God. He's going to show you what's going on in your heart. He may give you other directions too, but if you're harboring sin in your heart, he can't hear your prayers. He can't give you new direction unless we allow him to cleanse us. And it's, a, it's meant to be for the honor of God and for the help of mankind and for his people if we would just practice this discipline more than we do to the glory and honor of God. Father, I thank you for the patience of these dear ones as we've sought to just begin to scratch the surface to this great, vast topic of fasting and praying to seek your face. And Lord, would you just help us? Help us to be able to to be a help one to another. Would you help us to guard our hearts so that we're not boasting and being uh, 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 like the hypocrites trying to gain praise from others if we've ever done it and we try to help someone. But Lord, there, I know that there are burdens in this room. There are people whose lives are, are, are just being attacked by the enemy. There are, there are those amongst us who've been suffering physically with infirmities for years on end. And Lord, we've prayed for a lot of these things. But Lord, if you're asking us to enter into a new kind of spiritual discipline, to, to seek your face in a, in a more intense and personal and practical way, then Lord, please help us to do it and to do it to the honor and glory of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that he endured not just the depriving of food, but from your presence to be here on earth for all those years in the body of a man that he might lay that body down to die, to pay for our sin. We give you thanks for our Savior. And we ask that, that as we look into his life, that we would see his example in this area also and be encouraged and blessed as we seek to follow him, denying ourselves and taking up our cross to follow him. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.